So, for some reason, I started talking about the paneling behind me as we recorded this podcast. This is This Week in Common Sense, by the way. But I told Paul Jacob that the paneling behind me was the worst in the world. That may have been an overstatement. It is. It is what it is. I didn't mean to say it is the worst paneling. I have, I've seen lots of bad paneling. Yep. And, uh, you know, paneling, for some reason, it looked so much cooler in the 60s. I remember as a kid in maybe 1968 getting paneling, and the house we moved into had paneling. And it seemed like uh, like we'd hit the big time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so once upon a time, that was uh, it was a status symbol or something, or at least some eight year old kid thought. Right. It was. I have a theory about about uh, interior and, and exterior uh, stripes in buildings. I think that it is best to have them horizontal. In almost every case, everything looks better horizontal. And I don't really know why that's the case, but paneling was always put up vertical stripes. And I think that that's what, over time, makes it look cheesier and cheesier. It just does not work for me. Oh, but but you couldn't do paneling. I don't think you could do it horizontal, could you? Wouldn't That, that would be weird. It would be weird. I guess maybe I've never, I I've never seen together, it. But, I, but it just seems like you'd constantly be, the lines would would impact you more somehow. Like you're taller than them, you're shorter. Whereas when they're when they're vertical, doesn't I matter. I don't know what to say. I, I, These I, are great truths that no one else has ever has ever thought about or communicated to the people of the world about. And I'm glad we're the first. Well, you know, um, I do have a theory about what went wrong with architecture, popular architecture, home architecture in America in the 20th century. It's a long theory, but. I call it great coffee table book. <laughs> well, not with my title. The title of my theory is the anus up front. So, uh, <laughs> which, it, which you don't even have to use pictures, but just right off the bat, that doesn't sound like the way to go. Anyway, we wrote nothing about any of those subjects, nor when we promised never to. <laughs> so we're already into this week in common sense. Common Sense with Paul Jacob is the website that we uh, deal with here. This is commonsense.org, and uh, you're going to talk about the five things you wrote this week. Yes, and uh, we start out with a story that I think was was buried, at least buried according to the amount of press it got and the amount of press it deserved. And that is the trial of the kidnappers, the would-be maybe if the FBI would have just worked a little harder, uh, the would-be kidnappers of Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. And, uh, you know, it's a strange thing. You know, governors don't get kidnapped. We just haven't had that sort of thing. Of course, you know, the world's gone crazy enough that maybe maybe anything's believable. But it just, it, it seemed like such a, a wild story when it first broke wasn't too long after that that some people started to question whether gee whiz it seems like there's almost as many fbi agents and informants involved in this as there are actual criminals and one thing i want to make clear is that from what little i know about this uh the what happened is that that two people had pled guilty (laughs) and they may be regretting that now uh and they just had the trial for the other four who were actively, supposedly, allegedly charged with being involved in trying to kidnap the governor. Two of them were acquitted. They cannot be tried again. They, they're through. Two had a trial that was a mistrial. They couldn't get the jurors to agree. And, um, and so they didn't get an acquittal or a conviction. Those two, they say they're going to try again. But what's obvious is that there was a lot of government involvement to the degree that the jury certainly felt like in whole in two cases and in part in two cases that they're not really criminally liable that it was the government committing a crime and encouraging them to come along on the ride that that is going on here and you know we've heard it on almost all the domestic islamic terrorism 
you know, it's it's uh, a lot of the folks who've been arrested. Now, the, the folks who've shot people up, they have generally been people that the FBI interviewed and said, oh, it doesn't seem to be a problem. Um, but the, there have been tons of cases where someone posts something uh, or says something, somehow all of a sudden the FBI is communicating with them and, and asking maybe if they want to build a bomb. And uh, uh, in this Michigan case, it certainly seems like there was some tremendous egging on. And, uh, and again, you know, the people I like to hang out with, you, you, I was about to say you could egg them on all day and they wouldn't kidnap the governor. But the truth is you couldn't, the people I hang out with, you couldn't egg them on all day because they would go, you know what? <laughs> You've suggested now for, I think, the second time, some sort of criminal, obnoxious, vicious, violent activity. Please leave my home, please, or, or over at a public place. Well, I'm out of here. So, you know, these guys are not heroes who, you know, were victimized by the government. They're kind of uh, loser dudes who were victimized by the government, I think. But they also never did anything, and their plots kept on changing. And I wouldn't be at all surprised to find out that the, these loser guys, I don't know that much about them. <laughs> you I, have to move your hands like that, too, when you yeah, say, I you know, well, I, there's I a lot of movement. <laughs> but but I have the feeling that they were stringing along the FBI some to some degree. I mean, I mean these other agents is that they were it was a game for them, and it sounded like that in court they made the FBI look really really bad. The dude that got acquitted uh, is that they they their testimony was impressive in some way. You know, we have not discussed this case or what you know. We're... Yeah. A lot of times we're reading each reading an article or different articles on, on, on things, but that was the take I had as well. And it, it's not in this piece. This piece is much more about what the heck this says about the future in our country and our government when they're, they're so willing to help everyone that they'll help criminals and that they, they, they play up and, and kind of create these problems. It's not the first time there's a long history of it. It's a problem, but there's also in this case, the and it's almost amusing, except, you know, these are real people's lives who are all screwed up. Uh, and even Gretchen Whitmer, you know, uh, you don't need you, she doesn't need to be thinking for two seconds that someone's out there trying to kidnap her. I mean, that's that's not a good thing. And so, you know, I feel for for everyone involved in this, but it's almost comical the degree to which it appears these guys did enjoy the game. And so they were, hey, let's let's go scope out what it would, you know, let's let's play secret agent like you're a little kid. One of the FBI agents was so convincing that they promoted him in the organization and became vice president of the group, right? I think isn't that how it worked? I think I think that is right. Yes. So that's that's amusing. So has Whitmer come out and said uh, that she's object to the FBI plotting to kill her? <laughs> I saw someone was asking that question, I think, on Facebook the other day. It may have been you. You kind of wonder. I don't think so. Yeah. And this happened on a late last Friday. Uh, it's Friday now. We tape these on Friday usually. And, and uh, you know, you get the audio on Saturday and the video on Sunday. And um, but but this was a week ago that it happened. And of course, it happened into the weekend, so it doesn't get as much play. But when you have narrative, partisan, narrative-driven media, you're just not going to get much play. I mean, it got plenty of play on Fox. They talked about it. And I don't get one American network or some of the other smaller uh, ones. Uh, I actually just got an app for Newsmax, but uh, check them out a little bit, see what, what's what. But, you know, I, it, it's not like I'm searching for a media source that's going to have it just right and always tell me the absolute honest-to-goodness truth because I don't think that source really exists out there. But, um, but anyway, in, in all of the coverage that I saw, I saw it covered extensively on Fox, and I saw it not covered extensively anywhere else not really covered it was interesting there's a page two story in the washington post uh so not important enough for page one but page two but of course page two is not a great page page three is 
a better page than page two, if you know newspapers. And uh, so it, it, you know, and, and there wasn't a whole lot of, man, this is a problem. What, what is our government doing? It was much more of a, they bungled it, which of course, you know, the FBI does bungle a lot of stuff. I mean, if, if they were actually prosecuting criminals, you'd have to kind of whip the organization into shape. But, but uh, no, it's, it's, you know, they, as we mentioned in the commentary, uh, in a footnote, one of the agents involved has since been fired from the FBI because he uh, brutalized his wife and in a, in a, after a swingers party or whatever, very, you know, we, we didn't go into any of the other details, but just enough that, that any sick person out there could, you know. Uh, this is a problem that you're going to have when you have agencies that have this kind of power and are secret and investigators. I mean, we, we always have to worry about the police. Anytime you give the, the local cops too much power, it's a problem. Um, and the, the farther away it gets from people, I mean, look at, look at the uh, Edward Snowden and the, and the uh, surveillance and the, the level of scooping up that the government was doing to American citizens. I mean, they clearly, they didn't just violate the Fourth Amendment. They stomped and spit on the Fourth Amendment. I mean, it was just, and, and, and that, you know, we don't seem to be getting the cumulative message. And maybe we are. Maybe that's why people are so sick and tired of it all. But the cumulative message is that we have a very dishonest, corrupt society. And every time you look at, well, where, where is this corruption? And it's not, not just in government, the same is true in, in the private sector. It's where people have outsized power and are not held accountable. And government, the problem is the government's always that way, it seems. And the FBI has a uh, long history of abuse and abuse of power and lack of interest in the Bill of Rights, things like that. I mean, J. Edgar Hoover is not one of the great champions of civil rights in America. Uh, that he's not, he was not known for it, and he was known for. Uh, he had his hobby horses, some of which I approved, some of which I didn't. I mean, he didn't like communists, and I, I don't like communists, so that's that's okay. But but his his tendency to to uh, to go after and frame people and then blackmail people in power too. He was a, he was a terror and he was head of the FBI for a long time. So yes. this is not a, this is not a new thing. Uh, this is kind of old practice, except now it's in the control of the democratic party more than it was under Jan. Jan Hoover was more of a um, nonpartisan uh, offender. You also see it weaponized in the media and the, you know, the FBI is deep state in the terms of being, you know, and, and that's the reason the title of this piece was that other October surprise, because this was blamed on Donald Trump because of his rhetoric. And um, that and, is the arrests and, uh, and accusations in the, in the plot was blamed on. Trump. Yes. That these people decided to kidnap Whitmer because Donald Trump so whipped them into a frenzy. Right. This is in October. It's October 8th, I think, it was the when it was, I think it happened the 7th or whatever, the arrest. And so, and of course, the media ate it up. Now, also in October, you had the Hunter Biden's laptop. But the media didn't eat it up. It was disinformation. It was, and of course, they're, they're not likely to call what our government does disinformation. But, you know, maybe our media ought to start playing more of a watchdog role. I don't know. Just maybe that would be a good thing to where they question everything that the government says. And if they don't get good answers, lets us know they don't get good answers. And, and uh, this, you know, you, you kind of wonder, it, it, the, the media maybe just covered it as they would. And I'm, I have no evidence that they were in plotting it all out or whatever. But it does show the opportunity for an FBI that is politicized. And frankly, I think what Comey did in the 2016 election 
Uh, I don't think he did it to be unfair to Hillary Clinton. Uh, it's hard to imagine <laughs> any scenario in which I'd feel like she had been treated unfairly, but she was treated unfairly in that no citizen should have a prosecutor step forward and bitch them out for 30 minutes in front of a national audience without bringing a charge. That's BS. Mm -hmm. That is not the right way. Now, a politician can go do it. But if you're going to be, I'm like hitting the thing, my, my computer was shaking there. Uh, but if, if you're going to do that, you can't be in law enforcement. You can't be in the criminal justice side of things. Um, you know, they, they're supposed to say things like, we believe we have a lot of evidence, not we know this person is guilty. And they're certainly not supposed to just come out and air a bunch of laundry from an investigation in which no charges were filed. I mean, that's, that's like, hey, we're not going, we don't have anything on her really, but don't vote for her. Or at least that's the way that person's going to see it. And if you're, you could, you're not running for office, maybe you're a businessman. Maybe you just care how other people see you. And the government doesn't have, they have a right to charge you with a crime and to investigate you if they have probable cause that you've committed a crime. They don't have a right to then say, well, we don't have enough to charge them, but let's muddy them up a little bit as if we're like a PR uh, firm instead of a criminal justice operation. So, so that was, and, and that's, I think, could happen again and again. Here's another case of it. It's not, it's not the head of the FBI. Here, it's FBI agents, and they're not coming out. They're not doing quite what I just went off on a rant about what Comey did with Hillary Clinton. That was very wrong. But here, if you decide you want to go get somebody, uh, you want to, you know, you want to, you want to do some hit criminal justice wise with all these political motivations, it can have political consequences. And when we find out that the FBI does a, a hit like this on this entrapment and ends up arresting a bunch of people right before an election, and then immediately the Democrats are going to pile on and, and, you know, this could have, this could have had, we don't know, uh, but it could have had a big impact in the election. Well, there was a lot going on in 2016. Well, and they piled on every day. So, so it was yeah. the kind of thing, okay, well, you mean he's not a fascist? He's actually a, a domestic terrorist enabler or encourager or whatever. Well, on Tuesday, we talked about Oberlin College. I think this is the sort of story that gets a lot of people going. And it happens so many times in so many places in so many different ways. But this is, uh, there's a, a, a bakery that's been working with Oberlin College for a long time, Gibson's Bakery. And over 100 years, I read. Yes, over 100 years. I yeah, was I guess shocked that it was really, really long time. Yes, I was, I was surprised. Well, you know, that is a very old school and it's a very well respected school. At least that's kind of I've heard about it. You know, my my folks were from Michigan and and, uh, you know, new people who went to school in Ohio. And Oberlin was always uh, very well thought of as a, a small liberal arts school. And uh, it's it, you know, what happened is it, you know, it's just unbelievable that something like this happens and this and, and takes off and becomes what it is. There was a, a kid there, a, a student at the college who put something in his pocket to steal it and was caught. And then as he was caught, tried to kind of physically push his way out of there and was physically restrained and he was arrested and he was prosecuted for that. And the school basically wanted to make it that it's their fault, that they somehow, the, the bakery has to just drop all the charges and kind of admit their blame 
for letting, you know, for not allowing someone to rip them off. And <clears throat> this is the sort of thing, I mean, you can't have a world in which it's okay to rip people off and you don't get ripped off all the time. That's not the kind of world anyone wants to live in, except this got all kinds of support and college support, officials, teachers, professors, folks at the college actively helping them print flyers and do other things. They, they ended their contract with Gibson's Bakery. No, if you're not gonna let our students steal at your bakery, if we can't come into your bakery and steal, we're not doing we're not doing business with you and it's just so straightforward and yet now the the court has come and said uh Oberlin has to pay 34 million dollars and uh to this bakery 31 but then I heard they somehow uh, later I think that I I read someplace it was 34 and I I was trying to I, it seemed like it might have been that they they forgot some part of it maybe there was some other anyway I, I could be wrong but Someone's uh, just to torture myself. I read on some of these stories in your piece. You said 31. I don't know beyond that. No, as I said that, I thought, oh, I said 31 in the piece. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Okay. Anyway, this is it's just so obvious. It's common sense. And yet we live in a world in which it's not common sense anymore. How did that happen? And then to, to just show and these are cases of education. These are the places where we, you know, we teach the next generation to spread their wings and fly, to be, you know, all that they can be. Well, so far, we've tried to teach them that, hey, you should be able to rip off bakeries anytime you want. And we'll even help you. We'll show you politically how you can create a whole movement behind ripping them off. And then here's one in Rhode Island where a mother asks a simple question. She wants to know if CRT, critical race theory, other things are being taught in the school. What's what's up? And they don't like the questions. So instead of answering her questions, they tell her she should file a Freedom of Information Act. She files a Freedom of Information Act. Uh, her name's Nicole Solis. And uh, and next thing she knows, they're suing her threatening to sue her they're they're coming after her there and and you know this is because she has a question about the school now you know so often you think about these different disagreements and i think when i was a kid in school you know if my parents had a question i kind of think somebody at that school answered the question and, and I don't think they, they thought they were being put upon to do so. I think they thought that this is my job. How you doing, Mr. Jacob? Mrs. Jacob, what was your question? Here's the answer. Because they were like real adults too. The teachers and the principals and stuff. I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe I just, as a kid, maybe I didn't see it like it really was. But today I see it and it seems like completely dysfunctional. So what's the solution? Well, she took her kid out of school, out of the public school, and she's now in a private school, and she's doing just fine. So you've moved on from talking about Oberlin must pay from the 12th to don't ask, we won't sue to the thir on the 13th. Yes. And the sort of the background issue here, I guess, is race, because in the first uh, case, it was a black a student who stole the wine or tried to steal the wine. Right. I thought it was two bottles in one account I read and one bottle in another, so I wasn't sure which is the case on that. And so the whole issue on Oberlin is that they rallied around the black kid, and apparently they believe that it's it's blacks can't help but steal or else blacks should steal as reparations. Therefore, it was bad. And that's that's sort of the you idea know, you get. You know, I had someone tell me that, the, that they ought to drop the charges to give this kid a second chance. And I thought, this kid's gonna get a second chance. You don't go, they don't execute you for, for stealing a bottle of wine or two bottles even. He's gonna get a second chance. And of course, had he done, had he behaved differently, maybe they would have dropped the charges. Had he come back the next day and said, I just wanna tell you how sorry I am. Could I make it up? 
I wonder if he would have gotten different treatment. But, but it wasn't just Steely either. He and his friends beat up the the the, the, yes, the, yes. the bakery person who tried to detain them. So it was all kind of ugly, the whole thing. And the and so I guess the racism thing that weird but I racism. Don't see the Rhode Island one is as a. Uh, but it was it was a critical race theory. It was she was she was asking about. Well, she was asking about critical. Race so theory. so there's this whole weirdness in America, whereas where race is still this unresolved thing. And in fact, it doesn't seem like an unresolved issue to me. What it seems like is that they want to make it less resolved. They don't want a re resolution. They want to just amp up everything. And the, that's what CRT is, as far as I can tell, is an attempt to not let people simmer down. I don't even think it's simmering down because people are not, people are, are up in arms about CRT. Not about race in general. And and where people are up in arms about race and racism, where real racism exists, I think they're finding immediate pickup. I mean, if, if someone does something racist and you have everybody agreeing it's racist, and I'm not talking about, oh, he stole something and he happens to be black and I happen to be white. And therefore, if I arrest them, that's racist. I'm talking about people who were actively discriminating against someone because of their race. That is going to meet with complete disapproval. And by complete, I mean 85, 92%. And, and you don't get that in, on everything in America. And so it's, it's, this is a, a desire to not allow people to be comfortable we're getting to a point when 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 i was a teenager in the 1970s and they had busing and different things what made that work is that people got to know each other and then of course they liked each other they didn't like each other they knew each other but they got comfortable they knew what was what and and it made it very difficult to say something categorical about white people or black people, because the white person or black person sitting next to you knows that, well, you know, that's not categorical because I've seen it, I've lived it. And so this, this society, like, like where I live, very multicultural, and, but it's not just, because in, in the neighborhood, there's a lot of different religions. There's people from all different parts of the world uh, and, and, but you see people together, kids, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, it, it, it just, you can tell it doesn't matter because they're all together doing different things. It's not, you know, when, when I was younger, you might have a friend who was black, but they couldn't be the same sort of friend. It'd be so much for them to come to the white part of town or for you to go to the black part of town. It was a big deal. Whereas now th those parts of town, at least in my town, don't exist. And so it's, it's, and you see that happening. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. And it doesn't mean that racism is gone. Quit talking about it, but talk smartly about it or quit talking about it because Something I saw someone the other night, uh, uh, Maven Dennis Prager, pointing out something I've pointed out a lot of times. Where, what society on this planet now or ever has been less racist than the United States of America? And I think you'd be hard pressed. I mean, you can say whatever you want to say, but with evidence and reason, I think you'd be hard pressed to find anywhere. And again, that doesn't, it doesn't negate any bad action that anybody's taken, doesn't negate centuries of our government doing things that were bad or individuals doing things that were bad. But it does provide some perspective to, to say, well, wait a second, so it can be a lot worse. Why aren't we a lot worse? Well, because people are free to like do their own thing so you can't control them. Um, you know, I mean, that's and, and people think about when they think I think about the, the South in the 60s and so on and 50s. And before that, you had government bureaus in Alabama and, and Mississippi. You had government bureaus that were designed to basically deal with race, um, you know, kind of apartheid like almost. And and, you know, we're in a different place now, thank God.
But there is a reason why CRT is so important for the left, is that they believe in equality. And by that, they don't mean equality like I mean equality. They mean everybody has to have the same income. Everybody has to have the same jobs. If the general population demographics isn't represented in, in some industry, there's been discrimination. That's the proof of discrimination. Not if it's whites that have been under <clears throat> underrepresented. Right, sure, it's sure. not even talked about. It's not right, important. Right, right. And the same is true when, when you think about women making gains and then you realize, well, there's like 60% of new college uh, you know, freshmen are women. But nobody's talking about, well, wait a second, men have a gap here. In a sense, it is sort of a Marxist grievance. There has to be a grievance. And, yeah. and race is something where, and it's not the Democrats who won, but the civil rights movement won. Right. And, of course, at, in 1968 or whatever, when I moved to Arkansas and actually you know, was around Black people more, almost all of them were voting Republican not Democrat, that flipped. But now that means that the civil rights movement, like Republicans a lot of times go, well, we, you know, we freed the slaves and the Democrats did all these terrible things. But of course, the, when blacks are Democrats overwhelmingly, then you're not going to convince them that the Democratic, they know they're not racist against blacks. And so they're, they're not going to, they're not going to believe that. Now, this week, the big news that we didn't cover was the shooting in New York City on the on the train. Yes. And that was by a black supremacist, apparently. And yes. he's apparently said quite nasty things about whites. And I've even actually ever heard his, his online complaints against whites and against blacks marrying whites. He had this long rant about how much uh, the, the new Supreme Court justice, how disappointed he was in her because uh, she's married to a white man. And uh, 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 so that's one of his main complaints. And what's interesting, some people think, is it's interesting that that story isn't getting much play because almost no one wants to talk about black supremacy as, an, as a racist ideology. Because right. the, one of the key theses of CRT is that only whites can be racist. Right, because yes. you have to if you, you have to have power to be racist, and well, that's just to me. That's an obviously stupid argument, and I mean really stupid on two, two levels. One yes. of them is that everybody has some power. That's the thing yeah. people forget is that everybody has some power on on the street. Uh, when when we were walking by, we each have some power, and if you're look more threatening or you're bigger than the other person, you have more power than them. Why are people asking questions about CRT? Well, it's because the school systems right are teaching it and lying about it yeah. and 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 playing games with race and so on and and doing all their racist supposedly anti-racist stuff that's a lot of power if you control the public school system that's a lot of power and yet they pretend they're powerless and it's the people being oppressed in those schools and being forced to do things that they think are just ridiculous and horrible for their kids those are the powerful people well that, that doesn't make much sense does it Right. I, also, the people who are being mistaught in schools, uh, they may get power if what they learn is wrong, according to a plan. But if they're not taught math, they're not taught English, if they can't, if they don't have any decent skills after getting they're, they're I mean, there's a lot of power imbalances in America, but I don't think it's basically on race. Uh, and no, uh, and no. CRT and, well, is. A, Maybe we should consider whether CRT is is also uh, spurred by uh, the very idea of absolving the educational establishment, uh, because one of the problems they have is that they've done a really bad job. And so CRT allows them to blame whites rather than themselves for how bad things have turned out in their schools. Right. Rather than the schools that that can't seem to teach their kids. Right. You know, um, what was the other part? Oh, the other part of this in terms of power is both of us have noticed, and of course, lots of people have noticed on, on the right side of, of politics, that there's not much coverage of this guy's views. Right. A lot of social media, racist rant posts, so on and so on, but no real coverage. That's power too. Again and again, we have the most powerful sectors in our society talking about how powerless and, and downtrodden they are. And the only downtrodden is the fact that we have an underclass 
because of a horrible education system and a system of trapping people in poverty and government programs and then telling those people the solution, the problem is all somebody else who achieves something and the solution is to give the government a lot more power over your life. One of my favorite phrases that has been a, a rallying cry on the left for years, for decades, has been speaking truth to power, which I, is a phrase I like. It's, it's a phrase that I, I do too. I, it's, it's a great phrase. Uh, and your Thursday piece was a case of a powerful person not daring to speak truth to an even bigger power than himself. And that's yes. Fauci, and he won't say anything bad about China. It's an interesting problem. Yes, I came across this interview, which was the end of March, uh, done by the BBC, of Fauci. And it was just, you know, the, the interviewer was very good about staying on the topic, which was China, you know, you have, have you know, had a deal with China. They didn't, they wouldn't come clean on all kinds of information. What do you think about that? And it's the basic obvious question. And it really wasn't about, is it the lab leak or is it the zoonotic or whatever? It was simply that, you know, they, they won't give the world information. And he, his, the first thing out of his mouth was, I don't want to say anything negative about what they're doing. Well, why not? Why not? I mean, that was that was my first question. Isn't it important that you? I mean, you don't have to like call them names or anything, but you could say yes. It's very unhelpful, and I I I don't think there's any good reason for the Chinese government not to come clean with the world, and we'll find out what it was or try to. Instead, I'm not going to criticize them. But then it was all this tap dancing. And I urge you to go to thisiscommonsense.org, read no reason. Uh, but uh, Fauci continues to kind of say, well, it happened in their country and they're probably embarrassed. And of course, there's no reason for them to feel that way. But that's just the way they feel, that they have kind of a, a natural reflex to not not hide the truth and let's read exactly what he says because i thought that language he used uh which i didn't paraphrase it quite exactly so let me do it exactly he says but the chinese are very close well you know i don't want to create any or mention any disparaging remarks about that that's what he says about her saying look the chinese uh you know what do you think the chinese why do you think the chinese government did that which was basically not come clean then he goes on to say, but the Chinese are very closed in a way of being very reluctant, particularly when you have a disease that evolves in their country. They become extremely secretive, even though there is no reason to be secretive. Now, of course, how does he know that there's no reason to be secretive? <laughs> They've given him regular reports on what the Chinese Communist Party is up to in every lab and in the country. Then he goes on, so when they see something evolving in their own country, they tend to have a natural reflex of not necessarily covering things up, but of not being very open and transparent. Just, just unbelievable. And of course, what, what, you know, if we had a news media that asked tough questions to Dr. Fauci more often, seems like all he has to go to the U.S. Senate and have have to talk to Rand Paul to get any tough questions asked. But uh, they would know, you know, he's not very open either. He's not really come clean. If you've if you've looked at the emails that have been released, he clearly is tied to this Wuhan lab. He's sent bukus of money. He knows the people. He, it's all part of, you know, world science. And, and he's on their team. His first reaction was, how do we protect and block any insinuation that this came from the lab? Well, and, and yet throughout this whole interview, I, I've always kept an open mind. 
I mean, she she called it one of the things that we cut in this piece because they can't be 60,000 words. Uh, <laughs> they're about 250 to 300. And uh, uh, but was was her asking him, you know, you came out pretty early on and said this was a zoonotic thing. You were pretty certain about that. And he said, oh, no, I was never certain. I've always had an open mind. And the truth is, this guy at the top, however talented he is or not or anything else, what we know is he has not had an open mind. If you look at the emails, if you look at what he was told, he has not been open and clear that, oh, it could be this or it could be that. He went to great lengths. He used his time and his position to try to smush down any discussion of a lab leak or of any look at this lab. And so when you think about, oh, the Chinese, they're doing, no, no, it's not just that simple. It's not just the Chinese. It's the Chinese and Dr. Fauci, they're on the same side on this whole pandemic, the Wuhan lab and the CCP, because Fauci's not a dumb man. He can't possibly not realize that the CCP runs China and that the lab, you know, I, I, I haven't heard anyone else even ask this question, but in all the recent studies that came out, which of course turned out to be hogwash, but they had certain samples and they were testing, where'd they get the samples? And someone could say, well, they got it from a lab in China or they got it from this doctor in China or they got it from, they got it from the CCP. I guarantee you, no doctor still alive is going to send samples to Fauci or anybody else in the U.S. without the government saying it's okay. And so who, where'd they get the samples? They got the samples from the CCP. That's where they got them. To do all their different, you know, ridiculous, oh, they came from around the wet market. It must be the wet market. Um, we had some lively commentary on this one. Tom Knapp. Uh, our friend and and uh, and often a criticizer of of pieces. His view on this was that some people really, 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 really he used a bunch of reallys uh, want to believe that there's a lab leak. Uh, they want to believe that theory. He really, 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 really doesn't. That's that's, yes. that's how I look at it. That's how I look at it. And that and to me at that point we're at a standoff. So what's the truth? But to me this story does not depend, the important parts of this story do not depend on whether COVID-19 came from a lab leak or a bioweapon, which you know, nobody's ever suggested, it, although we know it could be, because we now know that there was a bioweapon, there was a military lab in the same building. But anyway, it, it's not dependent on what the, the true origin was. What we know is that there are several, two possibilities here, several possibilities, but two main came from the lab or it came zoonotically. When you see your government, because Fauci's part of our government, and the Chinese government colluding to block discussion of one of them, when you see tech giants like Facebook and Google and YouTube blocking discussion about one of them, that's wrong. Whether, whatever it turns out to be, you know, whoever wins the race that you kneecapped one of the runners around the first curve is on video and is gonna show. So what we know is we can't trust the Chinese because they won't tell us the truth because they're spinning for them and mainly just hiding stuff because they have the power to do that. And we can't trust Dr. Fauci, because he's doing the same thing with the powers he has. He's hiding, he's blocking, so that we don't know the truth. That's a problem. Tom Knapp doesn't want a war. I don't want a war either. However, I think we were attacked. And I don't know whether it was an accidental attack, or, but, but, but the, attack, uh, the attack was the lies, the lies surrounding the disease. Whether the disease was a release on purpose or an accident or whatever, immediately surrounding it were a whole bunch of lies. And were, it was packaged, 
I believe is a psychological operation. And as we see China and our government trying to avoid responsibility for the disease, we know that China and our government both had psychological operations and policies that were basically war with us. They made us weak. We, they made the people weak. The people that were not behaving rationally. They tried to get the people and were successful in getting the people into mobs that turned on each other and abridged human rights. Like all the lockdowns were abridgments of human rights. And the way they handled masking was abridgment of human rights. It's not that we can't wear masks. It's just that the mandates are just, that's not the way to go about that kind of thing. And so I look at it as we're at war. We were attacked by our government and by Chinese. The extent of the culpability for that war, I don't know. I don't know how far the war war plans go, but it, it is a war, and I think every reasonable citizen who wants to think for themselves has to not pretend that we live in a happy, happy world, whether it was just an accident that occurred about with something. Our governments are not on our side. And I think that's really obvious, and you can tell by the extent to which they uh, censor us for thinking about the possibility that we're at even a worse war than we obviously are. I have thought for years now, before COVID, that we may be in the beginnings of World War III, and that China was the biggest threat. This is before any COVID anything. And... I also have come to the conclusion that, one, if there's going to be World War III, I'd like to be on the winning end of it, <clears throat> not the losing end. But also that the more, the stronger the United States of America is, in real ways, economically, uh, the not just what weapons we have, but the ability to deliver the you know, I, I keep talking about all these countries we've pledged to defend. I think we should actually have plans to defend them because I think we're reaching a point in human history in which that may be called upon. So, um, and of course, we could we could always uh, jettison some of those plans, but uh, you know, you have to be clear who you're going to defend and who you're not, and we aren't always. Um, but. I do think a lot of people are looking at these things through the lens of, well, we don't want to be too critical of Russia or China and, and the danger that China poses is 20 times the danger that Russia poses. Um, but, but we don't want to, we, we don't want to encourage war we want to discourage it, but that means be strong. It doesn't mean, you know, <clears throat> we could choose to run back to the, to the borders, uh, <clears throat> but even that, in other words, we're, we're leaving Southeast Asia, you know, Japan, South Korea, Australia, Taiwan, you guys fend for yourself, Philippines, um, and, and we, could, we could abandon NATO. Now, NATO's probably in a position where they could withstand, you know, they could stop the Soviets, uh, Soviets, Russians. Um, but, uh, but I don't think that that's so true in Asia. And so you, you look at all of those situations and it seems to me that um, we could wish <clears throat> that we could kind of have no, you know, no foreign entanglements, but we have them and in, unless we're going to get rid of them, we ought to try to make sure that we're strong enough to do something about them. And part of that is to be honest about what our adversaries are doing. You know, this, this idea that China, you know, that we really want to work with China on climate change. I mean, I just have to say, if I were president, I wouldn't want to spend four seconds. I wouldn't want anybody working for me to spend a second thinking about how to get China to work with us on climate change because they're not going to do it. It's, it'd be like, you know, wait, I'm spending all my time trying to get, you know, Adolf Hitler to agree to, you know, something on climate change. He, these are folks who are genocidal maniacs. I don't think you get them to work on climate change. And I don't think 
I mean, let's think about our relationship with Putin and Russia for a little bit. We had Hillary Clinton run over there with a reset button. That don't you remember the and you can Google it on YouTube and stuff. She had a reset button that was like a little gag gift that she gave to their foreign minister. Uh, the Russian foreign minister today wanted to we wanted to reset the relationship. Well, the first off, why are we resetting the relationship? I mean, did we do something wrong? And if we did, I tell the American people because you're working for us. I want the apology first. It also just happened to be that they thought it said reset in Russian, but the foreign minister who may have just been, you know, punking them, but the foreign minister said, no, it said overcharged. But anyway, yeah. um, then you have the 20, 2012 election and you have Mitt Romney say that he thinks Russia is our number one geopolitical foe. And he's ridiculed, ridiculed in the press by Obama. What a silly, what a silly thought. Well, it kind of, and, and remember when Obama was caught on tapes telling Medmer, you know, tell, tell Putin that after the election, I'll be a lot more flexible. I mean, this, we're, we're not ready for prime time and, and playing around with a dictator pretty much. And, and, you know, a little more trappings than they have in, in China. But that just means that China doesn't have to poison as many people as the Russians do. Um, anyway, it's uh, it, our whole history with, and, and even Trump, you know, who, who can't stop talking about what a great leader Putin is. You know, I just don't happen to agree that he's a great leader. Great leaders don't kill their political enemies or imprison them. That's just, you know, that's like a kind of a prerequisite to be great. So it's, it's, we've had this insane view of Russia for all these years. And the only time that it's become, and, and when they take Crimea, it's no big deal. But when Trump's in, then Russia's trying to take over. I mean, it's, and it, it's hurtful in that it makes it to where you, you can't believe anything. And I've, like some of the things with, with calling Russia, saying that they're committing genocide in Ukraine. That's a little quick to use that term. And it's just, it's things like that create a situation in which you're always hyping. It's the boy who cried wolf. Be serious about things. And <clears throat> I think there's, there's so much politics and so much theater to it all. And the media plays into that and exacerbates it. And uh, uh, it's... I, I'm very frightened about where we are as a country because we, we, we have leadership that's weak. We have commitments everywhere. And we have a society that, is, that hasn't really been clued into any of the challenges, I think, that, that may come up. It'll be like, you know, they might go, okay, well, we're in all this trouble. And they'll be going, right, who's going to take care of that? And of course, Nothing happens that you and I aren't taking care of. I don't believe that you or I have any clue about what's really going on between the Russia, China, and American negotiations behind the scenes. We're not really clued into all that stuff. What they're dealing with, I, I from what I can tell, and I listened to, oh, I can't remember his name, and I, I wish I could name drop the name of the expert who... Uh, basically suggests that Russia is as advanced as China in one military area. Hypersonics? Everything to do with outer space. They now have satellites that can move around at will. The next war may start out with th flinging satellites from the, from the orbit. Yeah. This is this is an astounding thing. Uh, this w was mentioned, you know, briefly in the news earlier this year, very early this year, that China had the ability. They, they you know, proudly uh, showed how they could move a, a satellite of theirs into another orbit. Right. Well, that's not just a technical achievement. That's a military achievement, because that's an amazing capacity. Because. We don't know what's up. There's so much stuff up, up uh, in our orbit now. We talked a couple of weeks ago about uh, and just noting that 
you know, I would have years ago, if someone would have suggested a space force, I would have thought, oh, this is just some new boondoggle to spend a bunch of money. But we have basically given up as a nation um, the an advance uh, in and an advantage in space. And the other two countries that are most in space are Russia and China, and neither of them are up to any good. And I think that there is a huge American advantage in space. It's just that most of that's not talked about. Most of it's classified. Uh, you know, Elon I... Musk, it, it, he comes in here because he has these amazing contracts with the military industrial complex to put things in space. And we have no idea exactly what he's doing because most of it's classified. And uh, they, when, when they moved away from using the Saturn V rockets uh, to launch stuff into space, uh, I believe I have the right. Of the right, right rockets that we're talking about, and to go for private uh, enterprise oh, yes. to Made do a that. Big difference. Uh, the NDCs that they give, I have no idea what Elon Musk knows about what's going really going on, but I have the feeling he knows a lot. And that's a segue to Friday. Yes. Elon Musk is serious, which I think is as serious as a heart attack. But the interesting and fun story, of course, was Twitter. Yes. Well, we had a story last week. This story has continued. So Friday, we kind of revisited uh, the fact that, you know, he may have to buy all the shares. He's not going to go on the board because then he's limited. Uh, he wants to turn it private. It scares the Dickens out of the news media. The news media views Twitter as its own. And uh, it's just the snarky way they want it. And they don't want it to change. But it's a, it is a real problem. Uh, you know, somebody sent me, I was talking to somebody and I and, uh, said, do they got rules? Yeah, and they posted the rules. Read the rules uh, that, that Twitter has. They're very simple and straightforward, somewhat ambiguous in terms of any technical. I mean, it, it's the sort of thing where these are not, you know, these are not, there's nothing on there that would give you the ability to say that Donald Trump couldn't be on the, the service. Um, there's nothing that would allow you to do a lot of what they do. It's the same thing at Facebook. There's no rules that are clear that, that you know, uh, in any way suggest that, oh, you broke some rule. Half the time on Facebook, you can't even get them to tell you what it was that you violated. This is, uh, it, it's a mess. And, and it seems to me that Elon Musk taking Twitter and making, giving it some level of freedom or even, even handedness would go a long way. I like the piece that you wrote, uh, but I don't know if I really want to put much faith in Elon Musk. I just don't know what he knows and what he's really up to. He seems like a nice guy and seems like he's all, all you know, it's all great until you start wondering why is he always talking about the simulation? Why is he always talking about putting brains in vats, that is, uploading you know, the consciousness into machines, uh, chips in heads? He is, this guy is really weird. Uh, but the thing is, is that DARPA has patents for a lot of the stuff he's talking about. This is not new technology. They've had patents for digitizing analog thought for a long time. It just gets strange. It's a strange subject. I don't have any problem with somebody doing whatever they want to put thoughts or other stuff. Just, just <laughs> do it with your own money and your own. I mean, my biggest problem with Elon Musk is that He's a bit on the receiving ends of, of lots of subsidies from the government. And and uh, and I do think some of these people with the, their idea of of mankind should be this way or that way. Some of them have much too detailed an idea of how we all should live that kind of makes you wonder whether they think they could enforce that in some way. But provided they're not enforcing it, they're just offering it. That all those things become good. And it's, it's a little bit like we had a couple things about education, uh, both uh, postgraduate, you know, college, uh, university education and, and uh, high school and K-12. The more people have choices, 
the the easier it is to get along because I don't have to put up with your crap and you don't have to put up with mine. And and that will go a long way. But the truth is, it seems like those choices, I mean, we're getting more from K-12 because parents are just demanding it. But it's like you send the, the, the students off to the young adults off to college and it seems like it's the same thing everywhere. And this, this idea that there's a bunch of commie professors, there were a bunch of commie professors when I was in, in college in the late 70s. So uh, uh, that's, not, that's not even new. What's new, I think, is the level of teaching it and, and kind of enforcing it on people, um, which in, in some ways isn't working too well for them. Well, it's made them crazy for one thing because they realize that they no longer have the power over half the population they thought they did. And it really does freak them out. But uh, we're talking really about Twitter. And Twitter, of course, is just one social media outfit, but it's a very popular one with academics and especially with the media, the news media, yes. and with yeah. celebrities and politicians. And they kicked off a sitting president of the United States while he was a president of the United States from Twitter which I thought was an astounding thing to do since they didn't kick off tyrants around the world. Right. Uh, that's, that's an amazing, brazen partisanship of a weird kind. I'm not so opposed to the idea that they would kick off, like, like if the president broke their rules and they kick off everyone who breaks their rules, and so when the president breaks their rules, they kick him off, then I'd want to come hug him. It'd be like, yes, because the president should be held accountable. But when you realize they just make up the rules as they go and that they are so partisan that they will they will deep six the top guy. Didn't what Trump do to offend them was to talk about the stolen election. And they said that's fake news. Well, you have to really debate and, and research something to, before you determine it's fake news. And the idea that uh, that that's shouldn't be debated, especially at the time when they kicked him off, I thought was crazy. Uh, but yeah. a lot of people are really offended by uh, Elon Musk's commitment to free speech, that is, of not kicking everybody off for idiotic reasons, right? That's one of the, I mean, that's the reason that well, that's he the got draw interested. for that's me. The, yeah, that's it, for me too. Uh, but, you know, Max Boot, who is, I think, my least favorite person in America. And, <laughs> You're and, and, just my least favorite writer. Yeah, but, he's, just, he, he's oh, I don't know anything about him as a person other than what I see on TV. And, uh, but anyway, uh, I mean, he's he's a neocon, and I'm I'm not a, a neocon. I really am not a neocon. Uh, and uh, his uh, tweet about Elon Musk, I thought was really interesting. The world's richest troll should not own one of the world's most influential social media platforms. We need more content moderation, not less, to curb the excesses of social media. So that's what Max Boot believes. He's not complaining that the Washington Post is run by a billionaire, the New right. York Times is run by billionaires, that Facebook is run by a billionaire. I mean, he's not complaining about those guys. It's just Twitter. And I guess it's a troll because the others aren't trolls. They're just censors. He wants billionaire censors to run the media. Billionaire censors on his side. Yes. That's the whole, that's the whole thing. It is amazing Anyone who who likes kind of the, the bent that Twitter has wants it to stay that way and will argue to the, to the nth that it's private, so it can, but somehow it's totally, you know, wed to the public interest. It's it's bull. And and if these, you know, it, it seems to me that all I've heard about the Section 230 is that it's well it's just allowing them to not be sued for content that goes up if they regulate the content it seems to me that they have to take responsibility they don't regulate it then they don't and maybe there's a middle ground where they set rules that actually could be understood and and reasonable and but otherwise it seems to me that they're sucking people onto something and then in essence, because the rules are so ridiculously applied and kind of ridiculous to begin with, but especially ridiculously applied, that they're committing fraud. And it may be a tough type of fraud to litigate and, and stop them, but it's fraud. 
Oh, it's a public fraud. Yeah, I, I've I've been arguing that for years. Uh, as soon as they started this whole this whole campaign to censor and deplatform some people, it's the deplatform actually that bothers me most. You know, if they just took down one tweet and said, "Well, that's just untrue," uh, it would bug me, and I would really be upset. But they. I mean, for one thing, what they did the Babylon Bee, which you just talked about a few weeks ago, is that yeah. they not only must they say you have to take down that tweet, offending tweet, before you're reinstated. So basically, they make you perform some act to uh, yes. show obeisance yes. to the their rule. It's really kind of creepy. It's kind of actually a little bit Orwellian. Uh, is, it is. It is Orwellian. It's very creepy. It really is. And, and you know, you, you step back and you think, Galileo, would he would he be banned from Twitter? Well, he sure would. If they would have had Twitter then, they would have banned him quick. He would have been number one to be banned. Right. And that's, that's where we're headed back to. And it's almost as if these bright people who would never, never countenance that, you know, if they read the story, they'd go, oh, that's just terrible. Our countenancing it every day, if done by Twitter, if done on their team, kind of. Well, I think that we're being prepared for a new kind of science, is that part of this deal with Klaus Schwab and, and many of the corporations is and, and everything to do with Pfizer, their desire is to create a new private science is that science as we understand it in the Popperian sense is public criticism of ideas, right? And we test them using public standards and the data has to be public if it's good science and we have to be able to re review it and all that right. kind of stuff. That's what I understand in science. That's what you understand science. That's not what's the future. Their future that they want is private science. They wanted to sock the uh, all the information about the Pfizer uh, drug over 70 years <laughs> over 70 years and that's the kind of thing and now that the, the things they're discovering in, the, in, in in those trials uh that, that's coming out are just astounding uh this is going to be an amazing scandal and you can see why that, that these people the modern postmodern it's, it's really the postmodern view of the world is the old ancient world the private science where things are secretive you have esoteric and exoteric beliefs and uh, I I do not like that. I, I'm not a big fan of uh, that basic worldview of how how a debate happens because it's anti free speech, but it's also control, control, control. And these people are control freaks. They are. They are. And it's our world they're trying to control. Right. Well, we will be back with five slaps against them, or maybe maybe not slaps, maybe good slugs in the jaw. <laughs> uh, okay very good uh, this week in common sense go to thisiscommonsense.org to find all the information we're on rumble we're on soundcloud and of course you write five pieces a week and that's you can get delivered by email uh, you can get a pdf of it if you go to the website there's all sorts of things you can do at this is what is that website is that the famous thisiscommonsense.org website i believe that's it Thank you, sir. Yeah. Bye.